So over the last several weeks, we were in a series on church distinctives. We talked through several different issues, several different topics, church leadership, the congregation's authority, baptism, the Lord's Supper, a number of uh, different topics. So last Sunday finished that series. So this Sunday morning, this morning we will begin a new series. So listen, again, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we normally preach through books of the Bible. We normally like to go verse by verse, emphasizing expositional preaching. So topical sermons is not something that's typical, but we will begin a series this morning covering what we call the church or family values. This will be a four-week series covering distinct qualities, things that we feel like are essential for us to be an obedient and faithful church. These things are essential for the health of the church. So uh, almost two years ago when we sat down and we began praying and kind of talking through what it would look like to plant a church here in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, we came up with four things that we knew we wanted to be committed to. Four things that we knew we had to have, we had to be devoted to in order for our church to be healthy and obedient to Christ. So here are our four values, and you can find these on the CCF website where we explain them a little bit further, give a little bit more of an overview, overview for them. So here are our four values. Number one is doctrine. Number two is discipleship. Number three is devotion. Number four is deployment. So those are the four Ds. Those are the four values of our church. So in 2021, shortly after we launched uh, CCF, we spent four weeks going through uh, these values. We thought it would be a great way to kind of launch into the life of the church to have a good understanding, a good foundation of what our church is actually committed to. So maybe you're here this morning, you're saying to yourself, okay, well, if we've gone through these things before, why are we going through them again? Well, for those who maybe weren't here when we first launched in January 2021, this will kind of get you familiar with some of these values. And for those of us that were here, listen, this is a great opportunity for us to stop and to reevaluate ourselves corporately and individually. This is a great opportunity for us to look at these four values and say, have we been faithful to those? How have we done in the first year and a half or so as a church? Have we really, truly been committed to these four things? So that's what we'll do for the next four weeks. That will be our series in church values. So this morning, we will begin by talking about the value of Doctrine. Now, I know that the word doctrine can be very scary and it can be very intimidating to some people. I'll define it for us here in just a moment. But to truly understand the value and importance of doctrine, we must turn to the ultimate authority in all matters, and that is the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the second of Paul's letters to his protege, his child in the faith, young Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy 4, and we'll, I'll read verses 1 through 5, though I'll essentially focus, mostly focus on verses 1 through 4. I'll just read through 5 for the context. I think it just flows better that way. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, you want one, 
There's some on that table there in the back. Please feel free to grab one before you leave today. 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1, and it reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to fellowship together. God, we thank you for the time we've already had. Lord, as we now turn to our attention to the word of God, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us during this time. Lord, I pray that as I speak, you would speak through me, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in and through me in this place to open our hearts and our ears to receive the truth of your word this morning. Help us to be people that are faithfully committed to the word of God. Lord, as I speak, do the work that only you can of changing hearts, renewing minds, and glorifying Christ Jesus. And I ask these things in his name. God's people said, amen, amen. So as human beings, we have this inherent desire for stability, right? We want stable jobs. We want stable relationships. Listen, if you're going to put your trust and your faith into something, you want to know that it's stable, that it's sure. I mean, that's true about a lot of things in life, right? I just think about a simple example of even the chair that you're sitting on right now. If it wasn't stable, if it wasn't structurally sound, you wouldn't have sat on it. You wanted to make sure that it was stable. That's a really simple example for us to think about. I want you to think about maybe a little bit more serious example, something with a little bit more weight to it. Think about if you were taking a flight overseas, right? Before you get on that airplane, you want to make sure good and well that it's stable, right? That's why they have a flight crew, and they have airplane mechanics to make sure that this airplane is stable because people's lives are at risk. We're constantly searching for stability as those who are constantly seeking some sort of stable foundation to build upon. I want you to know this morning there is no more stable or sure ground that we can stand upon other than the foundation of God's word. You see, this discussion that we're going to have this morning about doctrine centers around the unchanging truths found within the Word of God. And again, when you use the word doctrine, it carries a negative connotation for a lot of people. It, it invokes certain feelings, right? That doesn't have to be the case, though. So how do we define doctrine? How do we understand it? So we define doctrine this way. And again, this comes right from the Christ Covenant Fellowship website where we have our four values listed. This is how we would define doctrine. It is a summary of biblical teaching that is both faithful to the full counsel of God's word and it is useful for life. So what is doctrine? Doctrine is essentially the way that we understand particular truths that are communicated to us through the word of God. 
truth about God, truth about man and sin and salvation and marriage and all of these other things. See, these would be particular doctrines or theological matters that we must understand and communicate according to what God has said about these things. See, as followers of Christ, we must submit ourselves to the entirety of the Bible's instruction in all matters. See, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, God has intentionally and graciously given us his word. And we believe that God's word is life-giving. It leads us to life. It's not here to steal our joy. It's here to lead us to the way to life. God's word shouldn't be something that's burdensome. See, as God's people, his word should be the primary authority of our lives. The Bible should be what shapes us, what governs us, what instructs us. It should be the solid rock upon which we stand. See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, as he finishes his sermon on the mount, he says, anyone who hears my words and does them is like the man who's built on a solid foundation. The house will stand against the storm. But he says, those who hear my words and ignore them are like the foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. And when the storm comes, when there's difficulty and despair and tragedy and opposition, that house will fall and it will be a great fall because it has no foundation that it's built upon. Brothers and sisters, that underscores the importance of being faithful to the word of God. You see, as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 4, he too admonishes young Timothy to cling to the word of God. He charges Timothy to be a man who is committed to the scriptures. He exhorts this young brother and says, preach the word. But he also tells him that it's why it's so important for him to preach the word. And so my aim this morning is as a church, as individuals, my hope is that we would be committed to the word of God. My hope is that we would understand the need for sound doctrine, for accurately understanding what God has said to us through his word. We must understand why that's so important to the life and the health of the church. So the outline I have this morning is a very simple one. I have three points, three headings that I want to use as we walk through this text together, and I'll give them to you now. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Point number one is we must preach the word of God. We must preach the word of God. Number two, the word of God is good for correction and teaching. The word of God is good for correction and teaching. And number three, people will turn away from the word of God. People will turn away from the word of God. So that is our outline for the, this morning. So with that in mind, let's walk through these verses together. Point number one, we must preach the word of God. You see, in this second letter to Timothy, Paul has written to him to encourage him and exhort him about many things. He tells him to fan into flame the gift of God, to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to him, to suffer on behalf of Christ, to pass along what he's heard to other men who will faithfully teach. He calls Timothy to holiness. He challenges him and encourages him on many things. Then as we get to chapter 4, this final chapter of Paul's letter, he begins with yet 
another exhortation. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. You see that phrase, charge, that gives magnitude to what Paul says to Timothy next. It lets us know that this isn't a suggestion. It's much more forceful than that. What Paul is saying isn't something that he's tiptoeing around. This, again, has great force behind it. See, the language used there, charge, is like bringing a charge to someone in a court case. Or we could even think about it in our own context. Think about a stampede of elephants if they were to turn and charge. That's a great force behind what is happening. So Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. And that, again, adds magnitude. It adds weight to what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy here. It says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. So he's not just admonishing him on his own behalf, but as one who preaches the word of God in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen, believers, that's a a reminder to even each of us as we gather together here on Sunday mornings. God is present here. The Spirit of the Lord is here with us. Right? So as a preacher, to all preachers, any man in here uh, aspiring to be a preacher, when you stand on this pulpit and you open God's word in front of his people in the presence of God, do so reverently, seriously, preach the word. Too many pastors get up and they're just flippant in the way that they approach the text, playing fast and loose with it, acting like it's a, a game or some kind of show. Paul reminds Timothy here, man, I charge you to preach the word of God, to preach the word. That's his challenge to Timothy. He doesn't tell him to preach politics. He doesn't tell him to preach philosophies. He doesn't tell him to call on these different theories that he may have researched. He doesn't tell him to preach his feelings or opinions. He tells him to be a man who's committed to preaching the word of God. See, Paul understood the necessity of sound teaching within the church. He not only writes to Timothy here, but he also writes to another one of his children in the faith, to young Titus, and he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. See, that's important right there, to have an accurate and biblically faithful understanding of what God says. It's important that we get this right. Even in his first letter to Timothy, Paul says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Again, there's an emphasis on understanding God's word and clinging to it, that the word must be our foundation. You see, as a church, and even particularly as elders and pastors with the task of preaching and teaching God's word, we want to be faithful to say only what God has said. We want to be a church that is known for faithfully and accurately proclaiming the full counsel of God. We want to preach the Bible in its entirety. Not just the passages that make us feel good. Even the ones that are uncomfortable and hard and difficult. We want to preach the entirety of what God has said. Brothers and sisters, we must be consistently committed to God's word. We must be people of the book. I don't mean Facebook. 
I'm talking about this book. We must be rooted and grounded right here. And I don't mean just people who read casually and occasionally. We must be those who seek to study it, to understand it accurately. You see, the Word of God is filled with these wonderful truths. Right? There's a plethora of things that God has revealed to us about himself through his Word, about the value of human life, about marriage, about salvation and the kingdom, about manhood, womanhood, parenting, all of these other things. These are doctrines that we must understand rightly. You see, but this is where the discussion about doctrine can become so very controversial. I think the old saying is that doctrine divides. Well, in some senses, it should. It's supposed to. There are certain doctrines that we just can't compromise. There are certain things that God's word teaches that, hey, we just can't veer from that. These are things that are primary, non-negotiable, right? Certain things like justification, how a man is justified. And it's not by anything that we do. It's all in what he's done, amen? And then the doctrine of uh, Jesus' divinity and humanity can't compromise those things. There are certain things that we just must stand firmly on. Now, to be honest, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. Sometimes we're going to disagree on stuff. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. There are going to be some disagreements. That's to be expected. So how do we handle those disagreements? Well, if the Word of God is the ultimate authority, then in those moments, we must check ourselves against the text. What does the Word say? That must be our plumb line, our measuring stick. That must be how we are squared. We must be people who turn to the word of God in those moments of disagreement to look at the truth of a particular issue. We can't rely on our feelings or our opinions or worldly philosophies. Brothers and sisters, we must find our footing on the solid ground of God's unchanging word. See, the Word of God is our guide. It is our guide. It has much to say to us. So we want to rightly hold these doctrines, and we want to teach them accordingly. This is so important because having the appropriate understanding will lead us to the right way of living. If you look at our website again, we say that, we state that clearly. We believe that right thinking leads to right Living. See, what we believe about God's word will ultimately manifest in the way that we live. So if we don't understand this rightly, we, we can't live rightly. And that just doesn't, that, that speaks to us individually, but it also speaks to our church. Right? That we must have a proper understanding of what God say, says so that we can live accordingly. See, if we understand correctly, we will live and obey and submit correctly. If the Word of God guides our life, if it orders our step to, steps, if it directs our lives, then that should be apparent. That happens from interpreting and understanding the Word of God the right way. See, but again, this requires us to be rooted here, to be people, as Psalm 1 says, who meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. 
This book, this Bible, this written, revealed word of God is what we must preach, what we must cling to, what we must believe, and what we must stand upon. So here Paul encourages Timothy to be a man to preach the word. But he also encourages Timothy, he says here, to be ready in season and out of season. That means every season, whether it's a favorable or unfavorable time, even when it's unpopular, inconvenient, it may lead to difficulty and persecution and opposition. Even when the culture says that the Bible is outdated and it's narrow and it's irrelevant, he says, preach the word more. Preach the word anyway. And this reminds us there's a certain level of preparation, of preparedness that is necessary when preaching the word. Paul tells Timothy to be ready all the time. For there's a great need for biblical preaching. Be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word, young man. That's what we're called to do as ministers of the gospel, right? Even for believers, right, who aren't pastors, who aren't in the ministry, you still have a call to share the word of God accurately, obediently, and consistently with the people in your life. That's how the lost come to salvation. Amen? Amen. We must be committed to God's word. So after firmly establishing this charge or this call for faithfully preaching the word, we get the why behind this charge. So Paul tells him what to do. Now he tells him why he should do it. And that leads me to point number two, because the word of God is good for correction and teaching. See, the word of God, as Paul says, is able to accomplish all that we need. If we go back one chapter and look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we look at verses 16 and 17, it says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Work. So what Paul essentially says here is the Bible is good for all that we need. It's good to accomplish all that we need. It is God-breathed. It is beneficial. It is profitable. It is good for training, equipping, correction, all of these things. It's sufficient for the life of the believer. We don't need to turn anywhere else. We don't need to elevate man's philosophy. We don't need to turn to the world or the culture We only need to look to the word of God to establish a firm foundation for understanding doctrine rightly. The Bible is sufficient to equip you, believer, for every good work, for everything that may come. But see, I think the problem is that a lot of uh, self-professing Christians, they don't actually believe that. They don't believe that the word of God is sufficient. They don't believe that it's good for teaching and correction, which is why they turn to these secular philosophies, these worldly ideologies, instead of looking to God's word. And we'll get to that more in just a minute. But after charging Timothy again to preach the word, he now challenges him to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort, which again is the word of God is sufficient to accomplish all of the above. You see, when the Bible here uses the word reprove or rebuke, it essentially means to find fault or blame, 
to find fault or blame. And isn't that what the Word of God does? You see, the Word of God first acts as a mirror for us to see ourselves rightly. The Bible challenges us. It cuts us to the core. It finds fault in us. And the problem is that we don't like that. We don't want to be rebuked. We don't want to be corrected or challenged, especially because most of us, I know this is me, we all feel inclined to believe that we're right and the way that we're living is justified. And I can admit that's me sometimes. There are times I sit down to read the Bible and I come across this text. I say, man, I don't like that. I don't like what it says. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't want to submit or come under the authority of that teaching, but that's my flesh speaking. So when I get to a text like that, I don't look at the text and say there's something wrong with it. I say there's something wrong with me. The Lord God needs to change my heart towards this issue, towards this thing. See, the reproof and correction that comes from the Word of God should actually be something that we're very thankful for. That's why we're thankful for this covenant community as well. See, if your brother or sister comes to us and they're opening the Word of God and they're pointing us to our fault and our error, we should be thankful for that loving correction. See, the book of Proverbs tells us only a fool hates correction. In fact, in the ESV, it says that a person who hates correction is stupid. That's the language that it uses. If we don't want to be corrected, we are very foolish. Obviously, there's a right and a wrong way to approach people that are in error. And I believe Paul understands that. He understands the uh, difficult and controversial nature of having these corrective confrontations with our brothers and sisters, which is why he tells Timothy to reprove and rebuke and exhort with patience and teaching. Patience and Teaching. See, when uh, rebuking another brother or sister, we should do so patiently according to the word of God. In fact, Paul writes back in chapter 2, verse 25, he tells Timothy to correct opponents with all gentleness. Tells them to exhort, to rebuke, to reprove with patience, teaching, gentleness. We must remember that these confrontations are opportunities to teach one another. See, if our motive is simply to prove our point or to cut down our brother or sister, man, we've missed a God-given opportunity to teach. As the body of Christ, we're called to this life of discipleship. If you were here last week and Pastor Tyler talked about the Great Commission, one of the commands in the Great Commission is to teach. We have an opportunity to do that with each other. And the teaching comes from right here, from the Word of God. See, the Word of God is a blessing to us. That it is this, this all-sufficient means of teaching, of guiding and correcting the people of God. See, our church must be guided by sound, faithful, biblical preaching and teaching. The Word of God must be faithfully proclaimed and taught among the saints. That's what the Bible calls us to do. The Word of God doesn't just suggest it, it commands it. Having sound doctrine and exhibiting faithful preaching is necessary for the health and the well-being of the church. If we're up here and we're not preaching 
accurately, if we're not handling the text accordingly, that is going to inevitably impact and affect our church. So we must be taking the task. We must cling faithfully to what God says. We cannot be ministers of the moment. We cannot be people who sway to and fro, blown by every cultural wind. We must stand firm on the foundation of the word of God. The preaching of the word in so many ways directs the body, the congregation. I think the old saying is, as the pulpit goes, so goes the congregation. Right? And we've seen this in many ways, unfortunately. We've seen this happen all over. People turn Elsewhere, and again, we'll get to that in just a second. But our call as those who are in Christ Jesus, as believers, as the family of God, is to turn to the Word of God time and time again. So Paul challenges Timothy on that, and he challenges him to reprove and rebuke and correct gently, patiently from this Word of God. So that leads me to point number three here, my final point. And the unfortunate reality is that people will turn away from the word of God. People are going to turn from the word of God. So why should we be faithful in preaching the word? Why should we be committed to teaching sound doctrine, to rebu uh, rebuking and reproving according to the word of God? Because there are going to be people who turn from that. Paul tells Timothy, don't you be one of those people. You preach the word continuously. Verses 3 and 4, and it says this. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul warns Timothy here. A time that is coming, a time when people turn away from the truth. They'll no longer hold to orthodox biblical teaching, but instead they'll find these teachers to suit their own passions. Paul says they will no longer endure sound teaching. This means they won't have a desire to sit under the authoritative word of God. They don't want to hear the challenging truths of God's word taught and preached appropriately. They can't stand it. It's un unbearable to them. But instead, they'll have what Paul calls itching ears. And this simply means that they'll have this desire to hear something else, something that affirms them, something that coddles them and makes them feel affirmed. It's a delight to my ears. They long to hear teachings that suit their flesh, their passions. They don't want to be challenged or rebuked. You see, this turning away from sound teaching was an issue in Timothy's time. Right? There were people who rebuked the teachings of the apostles and Paul and Timothy and disputed the resurrection and salvation by faith alone. There were those who challenged and turned away from that teaching in that time, but that's not a problem that's exclusive to Timothy's time. 
We can certainly see where there are those who have turned away in our day and time as well. There are theories and philosophies in the world that have now infiltrated the church. And they've begun to even be presented from the pulpit. See, rather than standing on the truth of God's word, which is totally sufficient, these preachers have decided to turn elsewhere. We've seen those that even claim to be within the household of faith begin to question the inerrancy and the legitimacy of the Bible. See, there are doctrines even that the church has held for centuries, things that God has clearly spoken on. They're now being presented as issues of interpretation, right? Things that God has clearly stated for us, what it means to be a man or a woman, What is marriage? What is sin? How does forgiveness and repentance, what does that look like biblically? It's now being influenced by the world instead of the word. People are turning away from these things. Say, man, yeah, I know what the Bible says, and man, is that what it really means? Or, yeah, I know historically we've always said this, but, man, I just feel like it should be this. And it's as old as the garden itself, as God really said. You see, at the root of this issue there, there are, there's a desire to find teachers that suit our own passions, teachings that appease the flesh. The type of teaching that is appealing to those who want to remain in their sin, who don't want to be challenged. Right? We encounter people like this from time to time. They'll go to a church and, oh man, the pastor preached some really hard stuff. I don't, I don't really like that. It made me uncomfortable. So I just, I won't go back, man. I'll just go to the church around the corner. And then they'll stay there until they're challenged and they'll go somewhere else. Because I'm just looking for a certain something. What I'm really looking for is to remain comfortable where I am. I mean, when when people affirm you in your sin and they don't call you to repent, when that's the type of preaching that you're receiving, that doesn't call you to conform your life to the truth of God's word, I mean, what a convenient life that is. Of course people are going to seek that out. Why wouldn't they love that? Again, this even, even this speaks to the importance of sound, faithful preaching for the life and maturity of church, the church and believers. So we must preach faithfully. We must hold uh, accurately what the Bible says for the maturity of those who are in the household of faith, to build them up rightly. Listen, brothers and sisters, we cannot give in to cultural pressure. We cannot seek the applause of man or seek to please the world lest we compromise the preaching of God's word. See, we're in battle. We're we're engulfed in a battle for the truth. That's why it's so important to stay rooted and grounded here to have sound doctrine. See, this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 4, after being mature in the knowledge of Christ, being built up and steadfast, he says in Ephesians 4:14, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here's a warning against that opposition, against those other ideas. Here's a warning against straying and wandering into myths that we must be built up. Children who are under the authority of God's word, who study it, who meditate on it, who delight in it, who teach it accurately. In Colossians 2.8, as he writes to the Colossian church there, he says, see, that, or see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What a timely verse this is. So applicable for us today. There are teachings and beliefs out there that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that oppose the teaching of God's word. Unfortunately, there will be those who stray, who wander, who follow these unbiblical teachings. Again, this is all the more reason for Paul's exhortation to Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. Listen, opposition will come. There will be those who refuse to endure sound teaching. That doesn't negate the call to preach the word. That should make us preach the word more, to preach it harder, bolder, more forcefully, more faithfully. But we must be anchored there. We must be guided by the word of God. We can't steer from that. That's our guidepost, our anchor. It's what leads us and directs us, the word of God. Friday afternoon, I was going to Chesapeake and drove down there Friday. A friend of mine passed away from some years ago and had his funeral in Chesapeake. And it had been a while since I'd been to Chesapeake. And so I put my GPS on and takes me down 460, which is fine. I've been that way, but then it takes me around 460 to 95, this weird U-turn. Then it put me back on 460 again, and then 64, and it's doing all this crazy stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, I know how to get to Chesapeake. Let me just go my own way. But I said, no, let me just stick to the GPS because it's, it's guiding me. It's leading me. See, if I had decided to go my own way with the construction and the new roads, I, it's, it's no telling where I would have ended up. And I say all that to say when we try to veer from God's word as our direction, it's no telling where we're going to end up. We need to remain faithful to the word of God. We can't veer from that. Listen, and as we talk about the word of God, there's one doctrine that we certainly cannot veer from. And that's the truth that we stand upon that is the surest, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel of grace, the justification of sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. That is sure ground for us to stand upon. Listen, there's nothing that a man or woman could do to save themselves or to justify them before God. It's only through Christ that we're justified and redeemed and forgiven. That's a doctrine that we must get right. This is something that the Bible is clear on. So we must faithfully preach this truth. 
See, the Apostle Paul even reminds us here that faith comes by hearing. He reminds us, I should say in the book of Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. He says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is the power of the word of God. This is why we must stay rooted here. We cannot wander from that message. It is absolutely crucial. Listen, no other message, no other philosophy, no other idea, no other movement has the power to save. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, as I mentioned earlier, there are people who don't want to hear biblical preaching because it challenges them, makes them uncomfortable. It rebukes them. But honestly, I can't think of anything more challenging, also more comforting than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The yes, I am a sinner who's willfully rebelled and turned away from God time and time again. But the grand story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's faithfulness and his ability to redeem his people over and over again to save and justify those who turn to him in faith. Yes, the Bible challenges our sin, but there's also great encouragement to be found right here in the pages of Scripture. So as we prepare to close our time, I want to encourage all of us to do something, to take inventory. First, to take an individual inventory, to look at our own lives, See, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are you committed to rightly studying and understanding the Word of God? Are we obedient to the commands of Scripture? Are you faithfully committing yourself to the instruction and teaching of the Word of God? Let's all ask ourselves those questions individually. But then there are questions we must ask corporately as a church. As the family of God, as a church, are we committed to sound doctrine? Are we preaching the whole counsel of God, even when it's hard? Are we faithfully and accurately handling the scriptures? Are we promoting doctrine as though it's important, that getting it right is important? As a church, have we truly demonstrated the value of doctrine being committed to faithful biblical preaching? See, these are questions that we all must ponder on as we examine our own lives and the life and health of our church. We must be people who are devoted to the all-sufficient, unchanging word of God. See, only in as so far as we are people who are saturated by the word of God, will we see the life-changing, transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, the Lord works through the preaching and teaching of his word to draw sinners to repentance and to build up the body of Christ to maturity and faith. So is that us? Is that what we're doing? Are we truly anchored here? I want to end our time here together this morning as we ponder on these things. We're in the same way we, get, we began with the words of Jesus from Matthew 7. Are we building on the firm foundation 
the solid rock that is his word? Or have we turned elsewhere? If you're building on anything other than Christ and Christ alone and the word of God that's been so graciously given to us, you're like the man who's built his house on sand. Let us be a people who are committed to God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. God, we're thankful for your word. God, I pray that we would be people who study it, who meditate on it, who want to accurately and rightly understand it. Lord, that we would be tethered to the scriptures, Lord, that we would not turn elsewhere, not turn away and seek to hear other things and chase these philosophies and these myths, but we would be people who love and delight in the word of God, who are shaped by it, changed by it, and who love it. Lord, let us each individually be faithful to coming under the authority of the word, but let us also be a church who is clearly known for preaching the word truthfully, fully, people who are committed to what the Bible says, believing your word, living by it, and preaching it. Lord, we thank you. I ask that you would be with us the rest of our time here together this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.